Hi, and welcome to The Backlot, a discussion with the entertainment industry's top talent. I'm Eric Connor, senior instructor. And I'm Ariel Seagard, acting alum and coordinator here at the New York Film Academy. And in this episode, we explore the improvisatory world of Colin Mockery and Brad Sherwood, stars of the comedic Highwire act. Whose line is it anyway? Every once in a while, if one of us busts and starts giggling, it's like my favorite thing in the world. And I'm usually the one that busts first. Yeah, I don't find anyone I work with funny. So, um, that makes it a lot easier. Now, I've tried doing improv, and let me tell you, the thought of doing it in front of a full house night after night is terrifying. But as Mr. Sherwood explained, they found improvisation to be simpler than working with even the shortest of scripts. I'm terrible at auditioning for scripted stuff. Mm. But when, that's why I mostly liked going out on either hosting auditions or commercial auditions. Right. Because it was really about throwing in your own stuff. When I go out, I am the worst person to talk about auditioning as far as going, uh, reading a script, memorizing lines, and then going into a fluorescent lit room mm -hmm. and trying to pretend like I am in a bunker, you know, during a war. I, it, it so does not work for me. And right. that's why I've never been able to really do well at that. I, I sort of fell into improv. I was working in uh, TV production. I went to school for acting, but when I first got out here, one of the jobs I fell into was TV production. And a guy I was working with said, there's this cool improv class you might want to check out. And I had never really done improv, seen it but it was like someone uh, handed me the instrument I was meant to play. You know, Here, here's the oboe. Mm. You know, you've been trying to play tuba your whole life. Right. So. <laughs> Both stars had been working for years, but made their name on the improv-based Whose Line Is It Anyway? First on the stage and then on the television show, hosted in the United States by Drew Carey. Welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway? The show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. That's right, the points are as worthless as the phrase campaign finance reform. <laughs> They just felt much more comfortable going in front of an audience without a net. Speaking as the actor that I am, which is I'm not a really great serious actor, mm -hmm. as a Swiss army knife, I have fish scaler and sledgehammer. You know, like, <laughs> those are my acting styles. And like, whenever, I, whenever I'm cast in, in like a movie or a TV show, I tend to be the slightly over the top, like in uh, Jane White is Sick and Twisted, I played this like perverse old street guy. So. I, I didn't have to tamp it down. They kind of hired me for being ridiculous and knowing I was going to go to 11 instead. So I think that my skill set and the industry have sort of, I would say, pigeonholed me. Maybe I'll, I'll break over into the other side and I'll be doing legitimate dramatic roles like Tom Hanks someday. But, you know, <laughs> the likeness of that happening at this point. It's also hard because, and this will uh, shock people, that uh, I tend to be more subtle when I'm auditioning for television and things like that. And they always, I always get called in for the big characters. And I don't feel, um, it's not what I feel comfortable doing. I mean, it's hard to tell that from some of the stuff I've done on Whose Line. But I tend to go the other way, and I always, uh, my rule is I'll only go as big as I feel comfortable doing. And then when it gets beyond that, then it's, uh, it's not good for anyone. It's not, uh, you know, it doesn't really serve as the character. I can't give them what they want, so uh, we're just wasting everybody's and time. And the other direction, I'll only go as subtle as I feel comfortable with, which is... <laughs> We've yet to see yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I've just made a mess out of so many auditions because, uh, and I think it's a confidence thing as well. Mm. Um, I'm so incredibly confident making people laugh and making things up, but then when I'm handed a script that has even just the least bit of dramatic content or I have to be sort of sincere, mm -hmm. I just have a hard time doing it. And the, the editor inside my own brain goes, you're a funny bastard. And right now, you're doing something that's not in your wheelhouse, you know? It's right. just like, you are master at this, but yet you're trying to do some other art form, really. I mean, right. I, I, I think I learned pretty quickly out here that that was my strength, so I might as well really hold on to it. So I actually am always in awe of people that are great at drama and, uh, you know, and being truly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. that's, that's always something that sort of eluded me. And I think it eludes a lot of comedic people because right. the comedy is your armor. You know, you're sort of burying yourself while you're making people laugh, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, you're burying yourself in a way that's completely different than uh, the people that are acting, like a Jake Gyllenhaal who's like right. ripping himself open and going, here I am. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even when they try to store a bit ahead of time, having a joke in the chamber, so to speak, only takes them so far when in the middle of an improv game. The uh, newscasters, I would always, before the show, come up with some really bad pun, because uh, I love puns, and usually uh, that was planned, although every once in a while I would forget, and then uh, it'd be, oh, crap, I had to come up with it. And uh, luckily I have a large storage of bad jokes, uh, so it would just sort of come out. Welcome to the 6 o'clock news, I'm Bern Knightley. Ollie Oxenfree. Chester Flatbottom. Chester Moist Muffin. Chester Snapdragon McFisticuff. Our top story today, a national study shows that balding men make the best lovers. We'll be back soon to the wildlife movie, Bertha the Dyslexic Effluent. We'll be back to our nature documentary, Hood the Circumcised Cobra, in just a second. Our top story from the Middle East, Benjamin Netanyahu today changed his name to Benjamin Netanyahu! <laughs> but everything else, uh, all the other guys, they never uh, knew what their character was until uh, Drew gave it to them, or Clive in the English one. Mm -hmm. The reason this was such a great gig was because there was really no work involved. We would show up <laughs> maybe two hours before we taped. We'd sort of go through, uh, it was a camera rehearsal. so. Uh, we knew what games we were playing for the night. So Drew would say, there, okay, we're going to do uh, uh, greatest hits. So we would sit, everybody would sit in their positions. Uh, that was it. And then they'd say, okay, stop. And then we'd go back. And so we never improvised. Uh, if we did improvise, if there was a new game, we would use suggestions we had gotten from previous shows. Uh, and then it was just eating and waiting for the show to start. And then we would do the show, and then we were done. And as far as uh, for... Wayne and I, the musical prep, we would have a music rehearsal where Laura and the band would play us all the different types of genres that if they did Rolling Stones, they were going to play sort of a knockoff and they would let us hear it and the producers would just give us a random suggestion that had nothing to do with what was going to be on that night, mm -hmm. but just so that we could hear the cadence and the measure so that we would hear them and go, oh, they're going to do sort of a, a knockoff of Jumping Jack Flash if we get... Uh, Rolling Stones that night. Right. So we would, in that musical rehearsal, we would hear that, we'd hear what their take on an R.E.M. song was, this and that. So we would hear and try like 20 styles, 
and then three of them would be thrown at us that night during the show. The singing guys were really underrated. And yeah. everybody, everybody thought it was uh, rigged. And there was times where I thought, oh, they've, they probably know. And I thought, no way, I just give them the title. So, <laughs> no. But uh, to come up with, uh, you get the title, you have to come up with rhymes, you have to make it sound good, and it has to be funny, all uh, split second. Uh, and these guys were the best I'd ever, uh, ever seen. The romantic Italian ballad, Pile Driver. When you show a girl that you love, take her head and climb high above. Hold her still, and that is that. Show her you love her when you hit the mat. Just go, ah! He's a pun driver. Miss Marilyn Monroe. And of course, her great hit, Gallstones are a girl's worst friend. Understand from your head to your brain. Oh, in my side, I've got an awful pain. Oh, and I shoot it out my rear end because gallstones are a girl's worst friend. <laughs> Understand, I won't be alone. I'm trying to pass a stone. <laughs> Visit it. Gallstones are a girl's worst friend. Worst friend. Worst friend. For me, it was always a surprise what the title was. For me, uh, that was one of my favorite games. Uh, first of all, because I got to sit down, which was good. <laughs> and it was just uh, Ryan and I sort of bantering and goofing around and then passing it on to those guys and watching them uh, do something uh, incredible. Hey, Colin. Yes, Ryan. What comes to mind when I say the word sting? The guy who sang for the police? Hey, when he retires, will he change his name to Stung? <laughs> well, you know, I, I laughed at first, but would he? I don't know. What comes to mind when I say kibasa and accordions? Broccoli. <laughs> and enough gas to light a small country. Colin, you've got five more years till you hit 65. In Canadian. That's right. Nothing better than the sound of metal. Oh, you're talking heavy metal. I'm just talking metal. It could be heavy, could be light, could be aluminum, could be lead. Is lead a metal? I don't know. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know? Hey, you just rocked there. Did you know I that? told you, I'm a child of the streets. Sometimes I just wonder why I talk to you. Because <laughs> if you didn't, you wouldn't be talking to anyone. That's right. I'd still get better answers. You know. So for me, uh, the bantering part was the part I was mostly concentrating on, and it's like, uh, and then I could see Drew sort of looking at his watch, and it's like, oh yeah, song. So then it would be uh, just toss. And sometimes there were good titles, and sometimes you would say something and go, oh, ooh, <laughs> that, that sucked. As the person that had to do the song, I, I know they, they always fall into one of three categories. If they were in the groove, the song title would be a joke in and of itself, mm -hmm. which is kind of what they were always aspiring to do, that if Song's the Plumber, Plunger, suck this. You know, I mean, right. whatever they were going for. Right. That was their dream title, one that was funny and in the point. We used to listen to the 70s funk hit, Check Under the Hood. One of my favorite Dixieland racing car songs is Axel Grease Rag. That big Lombada hit, Two Laps to Go. One of my 80s rock and roll favorites has to be 
My gown has no back. That mambo hit, this is gonna hurt a little. Simply titled, <laughs> Bang! And then sometimes if they were just sort of blathering on, then they would kind of do it Fletch style. Who could forget that wonderful uh, title, Honey, the toilet's clogged and I don't have anything but your earrings. You know, and it's like, great. Yeah. Thanks for truncating it down into a, a little thing. It's a doo-wop hit and its title is... Oh, the anticipation is incredible. I bet it's going to be so hilarious. Oh. <laughs> have I told you how much I love working with you? Mr. Mulcahy and Mr. Sherwood do their best to resist tailoring their material to where they're performing. Choosing instead to follow the idea that funny is funny everywhere. If a reference of where I'm at pops into mind that feels germane to whatever we're doing at that moment, I'll throw it out. But I don't walk in with a satchel full of, here are my English jokes, here are my Alabama jokes. No, I, ne I never do that. You know, at most we'll be doing something and like something stupid goes bad and then you'll say, well, you very rarely see that in Alabama. And that gets a local joke out of him, and it has nothing to do with Alabama. You know, it's like if you make a local reference just for the sake of making it to the local people, they're going to laugh. But that joke would have also worked if you said it in Minnesota. You know, so. We, had, we just had, uh, we had five shows in India. Last summer, I think. Uh, big, summer? Yeah, big Who's Line fans and... Uh, it was bizarre. <laughs> it was, uh, and we were a little worried about it. Uh, we, I mean, we thought, you know, they are one of the largest English-speaking countries in the world, just by the fact that there's a billion people. But we also thought, well, it's a totally different culture. Will they get our stuff? The first suggestion, we got fart. So we thought, yeah, we're good. We looked at each other. <laughs> we looked at each other. It's like we're home. So and uh, we never no we didn't problem. change anything. We just did. Uh, you know, we, we don't do political, we don't do, uh, we just do goofy, and I think goofy is universal. We do goofy situational character, occupation type things as opposed to, oh, let's do Britney Spears, blah, 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 Lindsay Lohan reference, or George Bush slam. We don't do any of that stuff. We and it's probably a good thing, because they told us after, which I think they should have told us before, yeah. was it, <laughs> they said, you know, oh, by the way, don't say anything bad or funny about Gandhi or they'll kill you. I said, well, <laughs> that would have been good before yeah. the show. <laughs> Just a little Xerox sheet right before Yeah, what else should we imagine? Performers are taught to listen to their co-stars. Acting is... Reacting. See, I listen. And when you don't have a script, it's crucial that your co-stars keep the scene from crashing... And burning. In improv, you need more than co-star. You need a... Dance partner who can finish your... Sandwich. Uh, Thoughts. That's better. I think uh, you need to sort of develop your improv skills like a martial art. You kind of use the other person's energy against them. So if they're all over the place, you can use that to make yourself look good because you are the counterpoint to that. Mm -hmm. I think the auditioners will see that you're adapting and that person may be all over the place and yelling and screaming and saying too much and then you just stand there and they're sort of the outside cool observer who just <laughs> says one thing at the end of that. like. Well, someone needs a Ritalin, you know, and you get a huge laugh, and that guy right. was really trying, and the, the guys that are casting look at you and go, okay, that guy stayed in the moment, stayed out of that guy's way, didn't jump in and mm -hmm. go, me, 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 and then got a great laugh because he was listening and present. I mean, in, uh, improv is such an ensemble uh, art form. You, you have to work together. And there is, 
I hate to use the word competition because it has a negative uh, connotation. It's not even going for the bigger laugh. Or, uh, he gets the bigger laugh. It's like being the best and going, well, I'll set him up for this one. He better get it because I know exactly where I would go if I was doing it. And you're, ultimately, you want the scene to be the best scene it can be. And that means having to work together. But, you know, you do like to get a, a, your laugh on your lines. You, you, you do, when you come up with a great line, you feel like, I'm always amazed that actually it worked out. And everybody, when we were doing our scenes, we all had our different functions in a scene. You know, uh, Greg would often be the kind of the smart assy, uh, as uh, did you at time. I was usually the woman or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, the scene is Ryan arrives at his ski lodge a day early to discover his wife, Colin, in the arms of amorous ski instructor, Wayne. <laughs> Ryan is Rhett Butler. Colin is Scarlett O'Hara. You know, that's how it goes in the relationship. Ryan is Noah, and Colin is... His wife. Mrs. Noah, yeah. <laughs> Colin knows his role at every scene. The beauty of improv is there would be, you know, you think, oh, I'll do this, and um, then I would think, oh, this is the character I've just come up with. Uh, hmm, it doesn't seem to be working, but I would have to uh, stay with it because then it became, my challenge was to make the audience like me as this character. So I would try to uh, just stick with it and work within what, you know, these guys were uh, giving me and what the scene was, and it usually worked. I also think there's a certain level of commitment, but your brain is also constantly going down a path with four or five forks, and if you start to go out and that's not working, you instantly back up and go down something that might work as funny. You know, you're constantly taking the pulse of the laughter of the audience, and you're not going to just completely barrel through ahead on something that you, that you know is not working. And, you know, as you get to become a good improviser, I think you learn the tricks to instantly to make a U-turn or comment it on yourself, sort of the comedy equivalent of, well, that didn't work. You know, then that gets a laugh, and then you go off in some other direction. Uh, I never feel competition in any of our live shows, Vegas shows, whatever. The only competition I felt on whose line was with myself. I had to be as good as I possibly could be, or I might not get another season. Like, that was the only competition I ever carried into the actual yeah. show, was sing for your supper, sing for your supper, sing for your supper. And I, I think for me, the only time I am nervous, or the fear creeps in, is uh, like five minutes before the show, when uh, you know I'm backstage thinking, okay, I'll... We have all these people who want to see a show, and we don't have one. Uh, <laughs> it really depends on what they give us. It depends on how on we are. And then once you're out there, it's just giving yourself over and uh, living in the moment and doing all the things you don't do in life. It's you're, you're listening to your partner. You're taking their ideas, and you're building uh, on them. You're accepting. It's like a happy place. Um, so there, And there's really no time for fear because you're just constantly... Think you're bombarded with so many things, not only from yourself, but from the person you're working with and the audience, that there's uh, no chance to uh, enjoy the fear. Uh, I think fear creeps in if you don't do it for a while. There are many great improvisers uh, who I worked with at Second City, or uh, the, the cast of uh, SCTV, who won't mm -hmm. improvise now because yeah. they're... We see uh, them at the Gilders Club uh, charity events in Toronto, and they come up to us, and they're like... Oh man, I don't know how you guys do this anymore. I, 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 I could never do it. And I'm like, you are one of my idols from SCTV. Yeah. You know, Joe Flaherty is looking at us like, how do you guys do that? I'm like, I do this with my eyebrow because of you, Joe. You know, it's just like. The, the it really is a muscle that gets flabby really quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't work it, it dies. 
to get complimented by SCTV's Joe Flaherty. AKA the dad from Freaks and Geeks. I had a friend that used to smoke. You know what he's doing now? He's dead. He's like being blessed by the Pope of Comedy. And the more Mr. Mockery and Sherwood performed, the more their fan base and their reputation grew. Even if each show is a new adventure, they only get better every time. Every time you do something funny, you sort of learn a new way. And especially since we're improvising, we're constantly pushing ourselves into the unknown of finding new ways. And we like to challenge ourselves. And we never improvise better than when we do something in our show, like get a really hard suggestion or change a game up so that it's, we haven't played it that way before. When we step into the darkness, that's when we come back after the show and feel like we didn't get anywhere near any vibe that we did in a previous show and, it, and we were scared. And when we improvise scared together, it opens up just that other extra notch of creativity yeah, as an improviser. The last two months, I think we've probably been as funny as we've ever been. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and this is eight years of trial and error, changing games, getting every better. Every game, we, we came up with ways of making every game so that we were off balance and um, not comfortable. Yeah. And we find that's when we work best, when we don't feel, uh, when we don't have a comfort zone. <laughs> I don't suggest it for everyone, <laughs> but it really, it works for us. And that's about, that's about changing a game so that it has a couple of different angles, and it's also about constantly changing the ask-fors uh, that you get from the audience. Because if you ask for something a certain way, after about 10 or 15 times, you'll start to get the same three things. So we constantly shake it up so that we don't ever fall into that group. One unexpected reason they're able to keep their improv performances so fresh is, well, basically amnesia. They admit that each show feels like the first time since they pretty much forget what they did last time. Sort of the beauty and the curse of uh, the show is um, once it's done, it's done, it's sort of gone. Oh, it's only because, you know, I, I flip through the channels and I see a who's line and don't remember anything. And yet I'm doing it. So I obviously was involved, but it's just, uh, I mean, the only one I remember semi-clearly is the Richard Simmons one. Scenery. This is for Ryan, Colin, and Wayne. And Richard Simmons, everybody, Richard Simmons. And that was only because of the audience reaction, because it, it, it stopped the show. Ryan and Colin, Ryan and Colin are gonna act out a scene. During the scene, they have to use a number of props. However, since they don't have any real props to work with I'll tonight. I'll be the prop. Right, Wayne and Richard. I'll be all the props for these men. I don't actually remember the improvising or, or what I did, but I remember that moment of just seeing people jumping up and down in the audience and going, oh, this is cool. Uh, but I don't remember any of the, I can't either. the scenes. I never remember anything that happened after taping. I just remember whether I feel good and thought, oh, that was a good show, we got lots of laughs. And then if I stumble across an episode of Who's Line and I see that I'm on it and I start watching it, I don't even have any recollection of what I said because I was in the moment during that thing. There were no scripted lines, so I have no expectation of what I said at that moment because if I was put in that scene now again, I would have different responses. So I can't memorize every, just like you can't remember every conversation you've ever had in your life, that's kind of the way it is with, with doing improv because it's stream of consciousness flowing out of your brain, free thinking like you live every moment of your day. It wasn't pre-planned, recorded, and rehearsed repetitively beforehand. So I watch the show as much like a person has, who's never seen it before. I find myself holding my breath and then relieved when I did something funny. Go, oh, good. <laughs> oh, he worked out. Ah, I did it, yeah. Good for him. Yeah, he, he made him laugh. 
Awesome. Mostly, uh, yeah. I mean, most of the, the great memories are just from working on the show, and uh, it was a great group of people. And for me, it was um, bizarre to be part of that, of the ABC m machine, because I'd never uh, had that. And all of a sudden, we were going to these big parties with people I'd watched on television and or, or people I'd seen in movies who I really admired, and they were coming up and talking to me. It was really uh, surreal. We were in Pasadena, and they have this thing called the Upfronts, where all the mm -hmm. shows come together. And mm -hmm. uh, there was a party that night, and uh, I was with my wife, and we're walking down <laughs> the stairs, and all of a sudden, surrounded by photographers, who pushed my wife out of the way, and Kim Delaney, who was uh, in NYPD Blue at that time, was pushed with me, and all these pictures were being snapped. And I, I turned to her and I said, well, I guess we're going out now. <laughs> and I've never seen such fear in a woman's face before. <laughs> it, was, it was like, oh, well. <laughs> and it was, it, it was just uh, bizarre. And there were moments like that all the time where uh, we went to a Disney adventure. California Adventure, when it first yeah. opened, they had like a couple of days. And of you get there and they say, okay, uh, you're going down the red carpet, your Wrangler is goofy. And Goofy comes up, <laughs> and for the whole night you're with Goofy, who can't talk to you when he's in the uh, thing. So he has to use sign language to tell you where to go, and <laughs> it's and you're just standing there going, "This is not a real life. This is insane." <laughs> so yeah, those are the memories I have. <laughs> Walking the red carpet with Goofy. <laughs> This ever-evolving comedic work sometimes results in the performers breaking character, which they don't mind at all. In fact, they welcome it. We live for those moments. We wait for those. I mean, those are the best moments in the world. I mean, I think part of the reason I wanted to uh, do comedy was when I was a kid, I watched uh, The Carol Burnett Show, and Tim Conway and Harvey Korman would do sketches on that show, and it was Tim Conway's mission to make Harvey Korman bust up at least once a show in these things. So he would just relentlessly pick at him with his little character until he started to laugh. And then once he started to break, he would just keep hitting at him. And that is my favorite childhood memory of watching TV comedy. And so I live for those. I, we don't do it very often, but every once in a while, if one of us busts and starts giggling, it's like my favorite thing in the world. And I'm usually the one that busts first. Yeah, I don't find anyone I work with funny. So, um, that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> uh, it's also, I mean, you know, we're in sort of the same state as the audience. Everything's a surprise to us. So there are some times where we um, uh, break. Uh, on, on Who's Line, it was always like I'd been giving a medal of honor when I made someone on that show break up, just yeah. because they're all jaded and have seen everything. Yeah. Every, so there was always that moment. And so when that happened, that made my resolve even harder not to break up and to see if I could make them look worse, which you're not yeah. really supposed to do. That's but the killer <laughs> instinct. No, but, but make worse in that when someone's laughing on stage, it's all gold for the camera. Like, that is free, awesome moments for the audience and everyone watching. So, And there were some times where I broke up Ryan that really had nothing to do with what I just said. There was one where... Uh, I said tapioca, and like he lost it. He just lost it. Hey, Colin. Yeah? What comes to mind when I say Ricky Ricardo and great cigars? Oh, tapioca. <laughs> really? Why is that? Wasn't that his big song? Oh. Tapioca. Tapioca. 
No, God. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about Cuba, God. Afterwards, I said, what, why did you laugh when I said uh, tapioca? He said, you sounded like Colonel Clink. Tapioca. <laughs> 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 so it was real, uh, I don't know what my point was there, but um, it's, uh, it's I, I try, there are some times, there were a couple of times we did a, a scene called The Cat, and that one was because, it was a Mission Impossible. Gentlemen. Today's mission is of the greatest importance. And we'd gotten into a little trouble in the beginning. And I find uh, when that happens, you're a little on edge and um, you're almost got the giggles anyway. Because, yeah. yeah, it was punchy. And then it started just to build from there. We're going to need some sort of detergent. Detergent, detergent. The cat. It's taking too long. The cat. No, that's no good. Fabric softener. <laughs> well, you can't have static cling. The produce will stick to his thing. The cat! <laughs> it fell in the water again. Wait a minute! The cat! The cat's wet now! And luckily, wine started breaking, and that sort of calmed me down. This snacker parker of Neymar will be here! We've, we've got a dryer <laughs> The cat! The cat! Stop it with the cat! So I used him as my. Um, I guess. Scapegoat, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, I find I just try to concentrate harder. Sometimes it works. You can, get, you can certainly get away with it in comedy more than you can in drama. <laughs> I'm just saying, from personal experience. Uh, when you're laughing in Hamlet's dead, it's hard, <laughs> hard to come back from that. <laughs> to me, I don't find anything terribly embarrassing because like one episode of Whose Line, I went to sit back in my chair up in the back and they were really close to the back edge of the stage and I fell off the back of the stage. I, I'm not so, but that got a huge laugh from the audience, so that's not embarrassing to me. That's just another laugh, you know. That, as a comedic person, that's just like, oh, that one was, was free. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't even have to work at that. So doing that show, uh, doing the show, embarrassment and shame were kind of left yeah. uh, backstage. It's, and it was, it's not to laughter when you're watching something and go, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I used Richard Simmons as a jet ski to fillet me. Yeah. <laughs> that's odd. Yeah. And that's still no the show. Hi. No, I mean. <laughs> Our uh, shame gland has pretty much atrophied. So, like, what is embarrassing to us when we're willing to get up as adults on national television, pretend to be monkeys, and fling poo at each other? There, there's not a whole lot that can happen. Like, even if we sneezed and an actual booger came, like that kind of thing might be the most embarrassing. You know, but I think it's there's a very few things. I mean, our life is about kind of making an embarrassing scenario into something funny. Their work in improv attracted a number of legendary comics to guest star. Including another one of their heroes and a master of improv himself, Rob Williams. Uh, let's go to get gold seeds from a hat. It's for all of you. What Robin Williams is thinking right now. <laughs> I have a career. What the hell am I doing? 
As great as Robin Williams was, even he found keeping up with the performers a very tall order. I didn't actually perform in that show, but we played with him a bunch of times live down in Santa Monica on Herald Nights at the Upfront Theater, and I got to play with him. And it's the thrill and joy of working with him, regardless of, you know, he again, he's coming into a team that's all been playing together, right? you know, so there's a comfort level. And to his credit, what he did, he was an improvising monologist. So he did he never years, decades yeah. of working by himself and, you know, free associating and all the voices and characters were just in his head. So, you know, it's kind of like the world, maybe the world's greatest tennis player that doesn't know how to play doubles, you know? So mm. it's a, almost a completely mm. different art form. And he right? totally raised, uh, I think, everybody's game. He had so much energy that we went, oh, geez, <laughs> we have to yeah. match this at yeah. least. And so uh, we were, after, I, I'd never been so exhausted after a taping, just because he gives 150%. So you have to give at least that to uh, sort of keep up. So everyone had their A game on that night because of him, uh, because it was like, we don't want to be uh, left behind. Also, we want to make sure he has a good time and uh, we get some good improv out of it. So he, he really did raise, raise the bar for us. The comedic duo might not get easily phased on stage, but off stage. Mr. Mockery and Mr. Sherwood are far from the extroverts they might appear to be. So the guys behind... Ah! Ah! Eddie's! Eddie's! ...are actually shy. Now that's surprising. I think we're both pretty shy in, in our real lives. Let's get some giggle. And I think my, my shyness sort of exponentially grew the more I had an outlet for the performing. Mm-hmm. I think when I was in school and a kid, I was far more out going and extroverted and trying to make people laugh all the time. And then as I grew up and sort of had, uh, you know, a place to do it on stage, mm-hmm. uh, then I became more shy. Mm. What about you, Paul? Uh, I was always painfully shy, and it wasn't until um, a friend of mine dared me to go out for the school play, and I got my first laugh, and it was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> the play was The Death and Life of Sneaky Fitch. A musical western, no, nobody uh, would ever uh, remember it. Uh, But it really wasn't until the success of Who's Line that um, I basically had to, uh, just because we were having interviews and and, and meeting so many people, had to sort of figure out a way of uh, getting over that. I mean, this is my worst thing. Um, right yeah. now, yeah. it's He horrible. can be in front of a 5,000 seat house, making it up and making laughs, uh, and he's more comfortable than he is just in an intimate setting like this, having to talk. I'm, I'm more uncomfortable at a dinner uh, with people I don't know, like a four, a four top at dinner, mm-hmm. than I am in front of 10,000 people. He doesn't know his cutlery. I'm more in my element when uh, I am bungee jumping intellectually out of an airplane and trying to make people laugh. We're more in control on, on stage. You know, we're with people we want to be with right. and who we trust and we know uh, it usually works out in the end and uh, life doesn't give that guarantee. Yeah. When my wife watches Who's Line, she calls that guy the other because it's nothing like me. Mm. It's, uh, you know, I, in gatherings with friends, of course, you know, I'm a little more open, but I don't have to uh, be on. And when I'm with people I don't know, I tend to be quiet, which is why I disappoint so many people when they meet me. Uh, I am the only person in the world that gets to see the two sides of Colin, because your wife really doesn't <laughs> see that. I mean, I get to mm-hmm. see the lunatic because we're on stage, mm-hmm. and the audience gets to see that, but they don't get to see 
the the shy. The real me. Super, I mean, he's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like Chauncey Gardner in being there. He's like right. that shy. Like, Good reference. Uh, yeah. Thanks. These are films. <laughs> yes. Introspective improv superstars reminded our students that one's career and life is not just about the destination, but about the journey. What advice would you give yourselves now when you're in acting school? Oh, oh that's, a good that's question. an excellent question. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Any more good questions? <laughs> um, I would tell myself not to stop uh, living at the expense of what I wanted to do. I, I, I was gonna say I love theater school, but there were, there, yes, I love parts of it and there were parts that were hell. And that, mm. then there was the part where it was your life. Those were the only people you saw. You were working like 12 hours a day, putting up productions, doing things. And I always have trouble with people who make acting their lifestyle rather than their job. It's a great job and uh, I love doing it. I love because you have so many different experiences. Oh, you can, you know, one day you're a pirate, next day you're a snack fairy. You can be anything. Um, but you also have to also keep in contact with the outside world and meet, see real people because when you meet actors and actresses, uh, they don't always react in real ways. <laughs> you know, I mean, everything is like really dramatic and, or, or not dramatic or it's, uh, but um, I've, I've always uh, tried just to get outside and, uh, you know, we don't have an entourage. When we go on tour, it's us and some other guy. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And uh, we get no respect. <laughs> we have, we, we um, wanted to write a coffee table book uh, called uh, You're Not the F***ing Rolling Stones because that's what someone said to us <laughs> when we... Basically, when we go somewhere, all we want are um, microphones and two wooden stools. That's yeah. it. And uh, if we've come straight from an airplane, like uh, just a deli platter with like yeah. slices of bread <laughs> and ham and cheese, you know. That's we're not it. asking for Cristal and... Uh, <laughs> so, um, I don't even know if I answered the question, but... <laughs> <laughs> Don't make it only your life. Like, don't yeah, don't make, always be open to everything. Because when you just focus on one thing, you lose so many other things that can be important to the one thing you're focusing on. Mm. And I think my sort of advice would be attached to that is do this with 100% committed, but only do it as long as it's truly enriching you and nourishing your life. Because no matter what it is, whether you want to be the world's best barista, actor, painter, whatever, if that pursuit is making you more miserable than it's making you feel like you're alive, like if you can handle the defeats and the rejection and enjoy the journey no matter how many times you get knocked down, awesome. And if while you're waiting to become a movie star or a TV star, you enrich yourself and are fulfilled by doing local theater or production, or just you're fulfilled by going out and hitting commercial auditions because at least you're getting to perform or playing with an improv group or whatever, as long as it's nourishing you. If your entire happiness is predicated on the day you get that job, that big network TV series, and you're not gonna really be happy till then, then you're, you've placed all of the happiness of your life on the destination and not on the journey. And it is such a ripoff to your life. Hmm. And you'd be better off becoming an accountant. Like sure. you really would. You, you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of, of sticking the carrot in front of you and you're just always chasing it. And you're, the odds of you getting it are so intensely against you that 
if you don't literally enjoy the journey there, you know, make the journey of being an actor as exciting through all the failures. You know, a rough kayak ride. Enjoy the fact that you're going to get knocked against the rocks, dumped out of your boat, and get back in, and you're going to be freezing, and you have to tent on the side and, and wait it out, and all of that, because that's what being an actor is. It's lots of failure and challenge, and you have to not let that failure make you miserable. Because I just know, I have known so many of my contemporaries that did not make it, but are still pursuing it. And it's just like, they are 50-year-old guys still going on auditions to be like the action hero cop, whatever their agent can get them in on. And I'm like, you're only gonna be doing commercials from now on. You may, if you're lucky, get the, the sidekick quirky guy on the network sitcom, but they're always gonna try and cast someone who's been doing that for years before they cast you. Jason Alexander's gonna get the call, and then when he says no, this other guy's gonna get it, and Joel Murray's gonna get it, and so on down the line before you even are, have a chance. So the hierarchy as you get up in age, it's always gonna be the popularity contest. What? So, <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that when you're young, when you're young, the air of discovery is always alive and happens. And the older you get, the air of discovery and the window of that happening, unless you get cast as a great character part in an independent film that blows up and then people start calling for you and then you have a renaissance of your career. So I'm just saying, savor that journey. You know, if, if you were in music, you have to enjoy making the albums and touring and all that and the photo shoots as much as you love just singing in the shower. Otherwise, you're cheating yourself. And you can look at anyone. You can look at people that are super famous and rich that are miserable in any aspect of business. And they have cheated themselves, and they've lost sight. And that's why we've stayed at this level. <laughs> <laughs> the worst day you have as an actor will never be the worst day of your life. So uh, remember that. <laughs>
to get complimented by SCTV's Joe Flattery. (laughs) 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 Including another one of their heroes and a master... I'm sorry, I'm off mic. Can we just take it from the top? Yeah. I was totally off mic. They're working... (laughs) So I'm going to just keep talking over her. As great as Robin Williams was, even he found keeping up with the performancers... (laughs) (laughs) My new favorite word, performancers. Two guys who can effortlessly craft entire scenes around the world world, world fart. Fart world. That's Ariel. Oh, and Seagard, and he's Ariel. (laughs) Connor, who can finish his name faster. No, I think that was perfect. You can fix this in post, right? 